welcome from nyc this is hatem alongside me noam dorman the owner of the legendary comedy cellar and we are hosting live from america podcast with an amazing show today all-star lineup here we go my favorite comedian of all time i love when he's here SNL, tough crowd, about million Netflix specials, including Red State, Blue State, and The New York Story. If you want to learn about New York, this is where you watch New York Story on Netflix. Colin Quinn, great yeah. to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Uh, we made it through all this. Yeah. Uh, and our guest of honor, he is the former Secretary of Housing. Uh, he was President Barack Obama's choice to lead the nation out of the recession and the house's crisis. And now he's hoping to be your choice to be to take on the second toughest job in the country, the mayor of New York City. Here's a uh, New York City mayor candidate, Mr. Sean Donovan. Thank you for being here, sir. Hey, so great to be with you all. Thank you for having me on today. And thank the first you, thank toughest you for... job is booking the comedy cellar. What's that? <laughs> 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 that is the toughest job. I mean, I can think of other tough jobs and the easiest jobs. Um, the easiest job, in my opinion, is write a constitution in the Middle East. <laughs> Page one, freedom, none, done. <laughs> all right, let's go. <laughs> like how you all enjoy that little laughter. That sounds like um, our employee handbook, but go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Sean, it's great to have you. Thank you for being here. Uh, before we start, you know, I want to ask you why you, you would be the, uh, the perfect candidate for New York City. I want to ask Colin and Noam, what kind of mayor do we need in New York City? Go CP, ahead, you want to go first? Go ahead, go ahead Colin. Um, well, I mean, we need a, uh, I mean, we need a, uh, I think we need more than one mayor. I think this city is too big. We need a mayor for each borough. There's no way you're going to tell me the people in, you know, the Koreans in Douglaston and the Albanians in Staten Island are going to have the same mayor. This is ridiculous. This city's been unwieldy for 100 years. <laughs> Noam, what do you think? Uh, I Well, personally, um, as a small business owner, we I feel we need a mayor who stops looking at small businesses as a, as a, uh, as a cash machine to be, you know, kicked until the change comes out and as a presumptively uh, a bad actor in society. And um, one that understands that, that uh, our, our lot in life has gotten more and more and more and more difficult over the last 30 years and that we employ a lot of people number but as and as a more like uh, more magnanimously i think that we need a mayor who will see people as individuals and not uh overlay them with all sorts of assumptions about any aspect about them based on their color because i think it's ripping us apart so that's what i would like to see in a mayor what about you, Sean? Now you, you're the one running. <laughs> what do you think New York City needs? Well, I thought you were going to ask me which borough I would pick if Colin had his way. You know, which, which <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually a better pick. question. What, which one yeah. would you pick? I think I'd have to take Brooklyn. I grew up in Manhattan, but uh, raised my kids, live in Brooklyn, and uh, 
Don't tell the other boroughs, but it is the best borough. <laughs> Colin from Brooklyn, right? It's right? our secret. It's our sure. secret Listen, here. Hatem, I have some questions for, for the, the candidate. Yeah, we all do. Uh, but I, no, I, um, let me... Yeah. I, I want to answer your question, though, Noam, because you brought up two things that I think are really powerful. I do think we need a mayor of all New Yorkers right now. We haven't had that in a long time. And... I grew up in the city in the 70s and 80s. I remember the tribalism, the sort of city starting to be torn apart. And um, it's feeling that way now. And I really do think in this moment of crisis, first and foremost, we need a, need a mayor who will unite us. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about this city, I am, I'm both the grandson and son of immigrants. My grandfather was one of 10 poor Irish kids who, believe it or not, as a teenager, he got on a boat alone to go to West Africa and then to South America. My dad grew up in Costa Rica, Lima, Peru, and he came to the city. He had enough money to buy some stationery and started a company. And to your point about business and, and small business, we've kind of treated this as if we're going to like tax and regulate our way to recovery as opposed to really helping uh, those businesses that have been hardest hit by this, our small businesses. We got to help them. We got to help them come back and, well, and not I, just I survive. I, so I can't get help now from the government because I'm white. What do you think about, you know about that, right? What do you think of, the restaurant program will not give us any money to help us if, if you're owned by a white male. And after three weeks, it will, but it's already out of money. So that's it. So, Colin, what did you want to say? I want to say, Sean, I don't think when you signed up for this, you realized who you're dealing with between me, Noam, and Hatem. You basically on a suicide mission. No offense. <laughs> um, I, I got like three really key questions. That, that, and then, and so, so, you know, I'm not even going to put you on the spot about that. We haven't even brought up the Palestinian Israeli thing. Well, I, want, oh, so, so listen, I believe you, me, that's coming. Mr. Donovan, you can you can but choose no, to no. I don't I, I just want to say this. I don't want to get you in any trouble. So you can you can choose to address the fact that the restaurant program will not give any money to white males or not. But you know, that's the that's the fact. So if if you if you're in favor of, you know, helping this and I'm you know, I'm not crying property myself, but I know some small business owners in my neighborhood who are, you know, borrowing from their kids money just to stay open right now and they can't or get from from friends. They can't they can't, money they can't get a dime from the government because of their color. So first thing is how do we bring our city back to life? You have an incredible plan, I see it, but so uh, is the other candidate. It's who's going to actually do that plan. So what would be your priority if you take the office right now? What would be your priority to bring New York back? What's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing you do is let every New Yorker and let the world know that we're coming back. And I would fill every vacant storefront with performances, with stand-up, with music, with dance. I would fill every public place with it. And, you know, I, I was a New Yorker who grew up in the 70s and 80s. I know what losing control of the city feels like. And we are headed in the wrong direction and we need to let every New Yorker, everyone around the world know that we're coming back. I don't know if you remember the I Love New York campaign of my childhood. Yeah. We need a new I Love New York campaign. I actually released my tourism plan on Friday and my campaign would be, I still love New York. And uh, with that giant heart, 
right there next to yeah. New York. Uh, just, just, just uh, inside information. When you, uh, when you're an immigrant, the first T-shirt you buy here is "I love New York" T-shirt. That try, you think you're gonna belong, but they know it's not. You're not from here. Gonna blend in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of to blend in. So let, let let me ask you a tough question. Is uh, you know now we have, uh, you know we have social justice and police reform. A lot of people want that versus law and order. You know, crimes are like rising up in the city right now. It's very unsafe like i think 30 percent more so how are you gonna do both well you can do both and i think it's a false choice to say you have to choose one or the other um I, look i think part of the problem is we're asking our police to do almost everything in this city we ask them to be mental health experts with the homeless patrol the hallways of our schools set up barricades for our open streets ticket motorists when what we really ought to be focusing them on is guns and violent crime, the things that New Yorkers are, are scared about. And again, this is, you know, this is the New York City I saw. I saw what it's like as a kid to, to lose control of our streets uh, of, of the city and to have you know, our civic fabric tearing, to have violence and tribalism emerge. And so what I would do is really focus the cops on the violence. I would make it easier and faster to prosecute gun crimes in the city. It takes twice as long as in other places. And I would build a national coalition to stop guns coming. I mean, we're not making guns in Brooklyn or the Bronx. They're, we're not selling them. They're coming from out of state. And we need a mayor who has the national relationships that I do to build a coalition to stop the guns coming in and flooding our neighborhoods and our streets. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I think you should cut to the footage of Hatem doing donuts by Washington Square Park the other night. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that footage. <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry. That might have been the worst thing I've done in 10 years on podcasts. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, all right. So, uh, let, let, I, you know, I want to I hit a lot of categories, different categories. So, why don't we go with one question from Colin, then me, then Norm, and just boom, 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 so we can cover as much as we can. Um, I'm sure we all have uh, uh, things that we want to know about um, for New York City. Uh, Colin, you want to go first? Well, I mean, I just came on for, for, I mean, the only, I don't even know what question. I mean, my only question is why, why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> You're doing very well in life. You got the sons playing soccer. You know what they're going to do. Everybody's just going to say, you're a white male. We don't want you as mayor. That's what they're going to say. You're, you're digging from the ground up. If I was you, I would say, listen, forget about it. Guys, you you begged me to do it or I'm not doing it. Yeah, well, first of all, Colin, you know it doesn't work that way. you got to <laughs> want this job if you're going to do it. And second, look, I, I, this, is, this is my life, what I've done, right? I've been a public servant. Right. I try not to take it personally, like somehow crisis seems to follow me wherever I go in public service, but I was housing commissioner in the city after 9-11. Right. Uh, when the worst housing crisis of our lifetimes hit, President Obama asked me to keep people in their homes and fix the economy. When Sandy hit New York, he asked me to lead the recovery effort. Uh, I guess because no good deed goes unpunished, he asked me to lead the $4 trillion budget. And, and I'm, I'm not kidding you, three weeks later, Ebola hit. And I ended up in the Situation Room at the White House with Dr. Fauci, with all our military leaders, 
trying to prevent a pandemic that could have taken right. 30,000 of our neighbors' lives. So my answer to you is firefighters run into fires. They don't run away from them. And we got a fire right now in New York. So I think I'm the, I'm the guy. Can I ask, Sean, when did you decide you, you want to be a mayor? Did something happen and you'd be like, you know what? This city needs me. I'm going to jump in. So, uh, Hatem, the, the, the truth of this, like just to be serious for a second. You heard de Blasio's last two speeches? <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't already been convinced, that would have convinced me. But uh, I was the very last night of the Obama administration. I was on the Truman balcony. Now, for those of you, let me just set the scene. You know where the Truman balcony is? Where Donald Trump took off his mask when he came back from uh, Walter Reed Hospital with COVID. You remember that moment? Mm -hmm. So I was there last night, 12 hours, maybe 15 hours before Donald Trump's inauguration. And it was literally, I think for nearly everyone in this, you know, that I believe had the right interests of the country at heart. Like that was a look in the mirror moment of what are you gonna do about it, right? Our country is headed in the wrong direction. We got a huckster who is about to become our president, who is, you know, turning public service into self-service. And, and honestly, that was the beginning of my decision to run was like all of us who care about this country who are against hate, who are against racism and white nationalism need to stand up and do something. And, and that's when I thought for the first time in my life about running for something. I, my turn? Yes, sir. Okay, there's a headline I just saw a little while ago. I can share the screen. Um, so hope I don't get myself in trouble this time, but um, it's from <laughs> Chalkbeat, which is like an education thing. Says it's official. New New York New York's prospective teachers will no longer have to pass controversial literacy exam. I, I looked at this literacy exam, the um, sample questions. It looked kind of like something that I think my I could have handled uh, uh, in the eighth or ninth grade. Um, anybody can go online and see what the, the, the tests are. What do you think about the fact? that they are going to, and the reason they're doing it is because not enough, um, they're not getting enough diversity of people passing this exam. So as a parent, I'm like, well, if, if the people teaching my kids can't pass a basic literacy exam, I don't think the answer is to cancel the exam. The answer is to get teachers who can pass it. Are you gonna be the kind, are you gonna, as mayor, support getting rid of the literacy exam for teachers? So, to be honest, no, I'm, I, I need to look at the exam. I have not looked at the exam. I, I haven't taken a position on whether we ought to keep it or not. What I will say is we do need to bring more diversity to our teachers. Even like, at the expense of literacy? No, of course not. That's a false choice. Come on, man. The, 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 according to canceling the exam, it's not a false choice. They're saying that. I, I, like I told you, I've, no, I've not looked at the exam, but here's the thing. We got 85% kids of color in our school system with fewer than 45% teachers of color, right? And we know the evidence is if you're a kid of color, by third grade, if you have a teacher of color, you're more likely to graduate, period. So we do need to, and, and we shouldn't have false choices about like high academic standards or diversity. We need both. 
And so the question is, how do we find ways to do both in this city? And we have, I often say there's nothing wrong with New York. They can't be solved by what's right with New York. We have great schools that are highly diverse and actually have great academic results. We ought to grow those schools. We ought to create more of them. So I don't, I don't think we should let ourselves go to be taken down a path of saying we have to choose between academics and diversity. We could have both with the right leadership. But Nell makes one good point, which is that I live down the block from Stuyvesant High School. There's not a white kid in that school. And I'm sure half the teachers are white. And, and every one of those kids is smarter than me. <laughs> Yeah, well, on that school, you know, is it acceptable to have fewer than 10 black kids admitted each of the last three years? I don't think so. But that doesn't mean you have to, like, sacrifice academic achievement. What you can do is supplement the test with the what's been done in other places, like saying, if you're a, an A student in your school, if you're doing really well, Adding, adding that as a criteria, adding interviews. There are ways to do this that can both make sure you keep high academic standards and also achieve more diversity. And I think that's what we ought to be doing. So Secretary Donovan, first of all, I should tell you, I'm, I'm the step-parent, but since he was nine months old of a, of a black child, and, and, I, and I have some firsthand experience of him being um, let down by the school system. So without going into that story, just to put that in context for you, I, I don't like that only 10 black kids are in, getting into Stuyvesant or Bronx Science or whatever, whatever that is. But it seems to me that it's very, very important that, um, we, that, that you don't give in on that. Because if you, if, you ch if you change it around so you get 40 kids of color in there, you're going to obscure and hide maybe forever the fact that these kids couldn't do it. In other words, if, if you have a, a test and only 10 children of color are able to pass that test, then what we, that gives us, a, that gives us a, a five alarm fire to say, we need to triple, quadruple our efforts to get these kids doing better. If we just let in and if we open the spigot to let in enough kids so it doesn't look like we have a problem anymore, we've just embraced that problem forever because they will never improve once we take the pressure off that problem. But no, I'm, I, look, I, I gotta disagree with you here. We have a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah, the problem is that they, can't, that, they can't, that they can't do well on these tests. Well, but hold on a second. When you've got lots of kids of color who are at the top of their classes that are doing extremely, and look, we all know kids who don't test well, right? And that's not a measure. There's lots of evidence right now that testing well isn't gonna help you be successful in everything in life. We should find ways to have a balanced process that includes doing well in school in other measures too, right? That's what I'm saying. There may be kids that don't test well of other colors too. You're gonna increase them. I mean, what I'm saying is I have, I have, a, black, I have a black child and he can't do well in his reading exam. And then the state comes to me and says, you know, Mr. Dorman, don't worry about that. We'll just let him in anyway because he's black. Rather than saying, Mr. Dorman, we've let you down. Wait, we're going to no. give him, we're going we're gonna to teach your child to read, Mr. Dorman. I, I, I don't want them saying, don't worry, we'll let him anyway. I want to I be able to say to the state, why can't my kid read as well as the other kid? 
your responsibility is to teach my kid so he can pass that test as well as any kid of any color. And what you're saying is, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to let, we're going to find some workaround. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying workaround. I'm saying fix the underlying problem and make sure that kids can, can, can succeed, right? And what I'm saying is we have plenty of schools that are doing both well, but clearly there is a, a problem in terms of who's getting prepared for that test, how the test is working. Look, you right. know that to do well on the test, how much of that has to do with folks who have gotten tutoring, right? And, and an, an advantage that other kids, lower income kids don't have. Right? I remember very well, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, my mother was a guidance counselor in New York City Public Schools. I was a student in New York City Public Schools. And these were the same conversations, almost word for word, that I heard 50 years ago. And nothing has changed. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm jaded on this subject. I, I know your intentions are good. I don't mean to sound like yeah. things are bad. Looks like I, went, I went to work in a homeless shelter originally at a nonprofit rebuilding those, those neighborhoods. I've seen the low expectations we have for communities of color, for neighborhoods around this city and around this country that I've fought back against my whole life. But I, I don't think we should make this an, an either or, right? We have to find ways to help everyone succeed. And we need to do it with high expectations, but also all the supports that, that, that we need there. Last thing I'm going to say, I agree with you very, very much. But, but I think that in the end, life is very harsh. And that in the end, if you can't read and write well, proper grammar, all that stuff, and do, do basic mathematics, all the efforts that you're talking about, once you get out in the real world, the law of gravity will kick right in again. And if we did, and if we pass these kids to higher schools and all that, rather than getting them to where they need to be so that they can succeed and a test of objective measure, we are going to do them a disservice. And just another 50 years are going to pass from the 50 years ago when I first, and nothing will change. There will be no substitute for teaching young kids to read and write well. And the idea that some kids don't test well, whatever, that's across the board of every race and color. But they, they, there's every pressure now, you see it. It's very similar to the fact that they don't want to test the teachers. You know, that they don't want to test the teachers anymore in basic literacy. That's a direct, you're going to direct correlation between that kind of thing and the fact that they didn't want to test them in direct literacy when they were in school. By the way, Noam, that, that article was from 2017 that you posted um, about literacy. Colin, you wanted to say something and then I have a question. Yes, I wanted to say as, as, as far as college entrance, I have a- No, have it's a, not. What's that? No, Hassan is- Go ahead. Go ahead. What article? Good, good. Go ahead, Colin. The article. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, I have a daughter who is su supposed to be on the rowing team at USC. Now, this is three years ago. An actress, Lori Lachlan's daughter, got on instead. Now, I'm not saying she's better. I don't know her rowing skills. I don't understand, you know, the criteria for the team. Um, apparently, no one's getting my humor. I'm trying to move it along. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I, shot, I, I have a question. To me, you know... Uh, living in a great city, what I want for me, it's just like, like we could talk about, you know, complicated uh, problems in, in a bit, uh, and it's important. But to me, the main thing is 
the quality of life, you know, in New York City. Like what, what, and, and then I really like to talk because, uh, you know, uh, uh, about art and performance specifically because, you know, of, you know, the guests as well. So quality of life, how would in general you make the quality of life in New York better? Yeah, it is. Look, this is the center of what makes New York a place people want to be, right? And in more and more the way the economy works, people decide where to live and companies and capital follow, right? It, it used to be in the old world that where you had iron ore, you had a good harbor like New York, that was where cities grew, right? But now it's really all about talent and talent wants to go where quality of life is good. And this is this is what's made New York a success over the last few decades. And also to tourism, you know. Yeah, like that's it's tourism, but it's more than that. It's it's like a place I raised my kids in Brooklyn, right? And I loved, they loved being able to find everything they wanted within just a few minutes of their their front door. Yeah. Uh, my wife's a landscape architect who designs parks, right? And it's taking back our waterfront and improving the way the city works. What I would say is. Obviously, safety is a huge part of quality of life. Yeah. Uh, for me, ending homelessness is uh, quality of life of the homeless themselves yeah. and people who are at the risk of eviction is a huge thing. Um, but also clean, you know, keeping our streets clean, like the basics. Fiorella LaGuardia used to say there's no Republican or Democratic way to take out the trash. And I think one of the problems is the last eight years we've had a mayor who thinks everything is political and ideological. Yeah. You got to have a mayor who just likes taking care of the basics of of making a city work. One, one of the things that I love about you, uh, your, your plan in, in tourism is like you want to push other pillars. Like people go to Brooklyn. I never see tourists in Brooklyn or like I live in Williamsburg, which like it's amazing. Like there's so much to do and people don't even right. know about it. And and they, well, nobody's so, ever nobody knows anything about Williamsburg. It was over over publicized neighborhood in the history of New York. <laughs> by you know who um uh so <laughs> i'm not talking about that part we're not talking about that part of williamsburg <laughs> so let's talk about Avenue. uh norm uh owns a few of the biggest comedy clubs in the, in the city and colin is obviously a huge performance did you agree that comedy clubs and broadway shows should have came very last in the um according to the plan to reopen new york city like your buddy cuomo uh, we should we should not have made it so hard. And look, part of this is like, how are you creative? I thought doing stand-up on the subways, right? Using our public places differently. I went to a performance the other night in Brooklyn called The Jewel Box, where we had 200 people out in the street watching music and dance. It, it was amazing. And we could have been much more creative that way, filled our storefronts done things sooner in safe ways that would have allowed the city to come back better and faster. And, and we should have, you know, the truth is on the health side, we didn't get our act together on vaccines and testing the way we should have. There's a reason we were the hardest hit place in the world last year because the, the mayor, he went after his own health commissioner, right? She said, you've got to be, you got to be more aggressive on this. And not only did he not listen, he pushed her out a couple weeks later. And so one of the things I, you know, I've seen this over and over again, whether it was with Donald Trump or at City Hall is like, you got to surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth in crisis, right? And 
we've had a mayor and also a president the last four years who did not want to be told the truth. So are you going to hire? And so that's what have got an open family. <laughs> So you're going to hire Noam to sit next to you and work with you there? <laughs> I, I, to, be, to be fair, I, I don't. I didn't really criticize the 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 governor for being slow with the comedy clubs. I mean, I, I did. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine the pressure they were under. I'm I'm much more critical of the um, distance, the pressure they were under. I, I'm much more. I mean, you know, they are. It's, it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback what turned out to be right and what's wrong. They were trying to keep everybody safe. I'm, I'm much more critical of the, um, the current restaurant program, which is underfunded and just in, in, in a way that is unbelievably divisive based on race. You know, I understand race-based remedies when there's impre imprecise data or imprecise measures. So, you know, I, without taking up too much time, you know, you, you can't give a, a, a black child is applying to college and you really have no way of knowing what is the full impact of his race on his record. So in a, in a very macro sense, you, you make allowances, which may not be just in the individual sense, but in the overall sense, you feel like you're on the side of justice. But here they have very clear data. They have your revenue in 2019 and your revenue March to March, 2020, 2021, and they know who was hard hit, who was not hard hit. They know they know who uh, did well throughout. And and can I just say something here though? As somebody who's responded to hurricanes all over this country, look at what happened early on in the pandemic. Look at what happened in Katrina and in Sandy. The truth is that low income communities, more black and brown communities, are in harm's way. Whether it's a hurricane or you're making, you're making my or point. COVID. Here's let me finish. Yeah. So what happened when the government first passed aid, PPP? It went to larger businesses. It went to more white businesses than black and brown businesses early on because they had banking relationships, because the way things are, are constructed in our society mean that those who are the most vulnerable before a crisis hits are always hurt the worst by it, right? So let's think about vaccines for a second, right? We had a neutral process, quote unquote, to get vaccines to people. Guess what? Fewer black and brown people got vaccines because they did not, they were not reached out to specifically. There were not mobile sites. They didn't have, they're, they're working more hours in a day. So they didn't have time to go three hours on, uh, on a website to get their vaccine. So there are ways that the disadvantages that exist in our society get played through every time we recover from a crisis. So I actually believe it's a smart thing to say we have to target resources at the communities that get left behind all the time. Otherwise, you're going to have an unequal recovery like we're seeing in New York. So apparent because no, no. Let's let's be let's be honest here. There was no rule that said white businesses couldn't get help. That, that, that's not true. What happened was, in fact, Asian businesses were some of the hardest hit, Asian communities were some of the hardest hit in the city. Asians are actually, API New Yorkers are the lowest earning um, and had some of the highest COVID rates of any groups in the city. And what we need to be doing here is making sure that we're reaching everyone. And you have to make special efforts to lead, to reach the folks that are, are often left behind. So, and 
that's not what, when, when PPP and these programs came out first, they were available widely and the bigger businesses had an easier time getting it. Minority owned businesses, women owned businesses had a much harder time accessing those resources early on. That, those are the facts of what happened. And that's what- well, let, let, Let's well, that, move on because that's, I that's, have that's, other-, that's, other that's, a, that's, that's, a, um, that's an indictment of the PPP administration. Why they shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. Yes, you're right. You're exactly right. But, but, so, 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 but, but that's the way, the way that President Trump did not do a good job getting that money out uh, fairly when it first. Right, so let, let's, oh, wait, let's move to other the, topics. I also know a lot about that. I want to debate you because it's not really in New York City, but I, but I, but I, I don't think that's quite accurate. There was some, I read some articles about it. They were not very convincing. I mean, you're, you're right. You're correct that very small businesses may not have the priority access with their banks. Uh, and banks take care of their better customers. So I'm going to agree. Uh, so uh, let's move on. Colin, what? What do you have in mind? What do you mean? What, what, what do you want? What, do you, what, what part of uh, New York that you uh, care about that you want to discuss it with Sean? Um, I mean, first of all, have you ever watched New York Story, Sean? I have, yeah. He did. Sean, let me explain. This is just showbiz protocol. I know politics is a different vibe. In showbiz, when somebody says, have you ever watched it? You don't say, I have. You say, I have the best. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, matter if you play, doesn't matter if you say it to 20 people. That's the funniest. That special is the greatest. All right. I would say, I would like to say, here's when New York fell apart for me. When in the early 80s, because I grew up here too, and suddenly the pretzels got weirdly, like they started to get soggy and now they're just hard. When I was a kid, you would get a pretzel on the street and it was perfect. So I would say the number one problem is pretzels. And number <laughs> two is get rid of all the malls from downtown Brooklyn to that one in Midtown, that monstrosity by Herald Square, Queen Center Mall, the, all of them. Because malls don't belong in New York City. It ruins the whole vibe. And nobody ever talks about it. It's psychotic. And all the chain restaurants. It started in the 80s. I remember in the early 90s when I saw a Domino's pizza on Coney Island Avenue. That's the heart of Brooklyn. Uh, that's what I would say. It has to be all small business. No chain restaurants. We're not in like a, a gated community in Oklahoma City, you know? So that's basically what's missing in this city. Is that- so, so I agree with you. And look, this is the opportunity. Obama used to say all the time, never let a crisis go to waste. We have all these empty storefronts. Think about all those local businesses we could start. Local, you know, small stores that could pop up. Not but, just, right? No, yeah. but before this, there was all these, all these, Big companies were buying those local stores just for advertising for their, you know, the gap or whatever. They had the money, so it's gonna have to be taking them down and putting local stores there. Alan, did you like Times Square ask... back in the day? Yes, I did. I enjoyed Times Square tremendously back in the day. <laughs> they may have enjoyed. I know that a lot of that money went to uh, the Genovese family, but it, you know, it was. A, it was a play. So, you Colin, know... I. I 
at the risk of pissing you off even more than the way I answered your first question about uh, watching the show, which was beautiful, by the way, fantastic. Um, Good. The, uh, Good one for me. You better say it to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I, I got to say, I was more of a hot dog fan on our streets than pretzels growing up. Well, I missed the, I missed the hot dog stands. Well, once again, you can blame went back to Hot Tem for that one, too, because pretzels and hot dogs, somehow, Hot Tem, who is it? Yemenis, Egyptians, you tell us, because I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, what's that? Yeah, Egyptians mostly. We have, we have five families that control these things. It used to be fat old Jewish guys selling some bread hot dogs. The cab drivers used to be, when I was a kid, fat old cigar-chomping Jews that lived in, like, you know, the outer reaches of Brooklyn and Queens. <clears throat> and uh, and same with the hot dogs was all, and then suddenly it's all Arabs now. Absolutely. So, Sean, let, let, let me ask you this as well. It's like, this is one of the things that, you know, uh, about quality of life. The other day I got a, a parking tickets for $115. You know, when they go to a restaurant and they give you the sign is not in the right way, my friend got like five, I think it was $500 or $300 ticket. Yeah. Why? Why tickets are so expensive for no reason that doesn't cause a violation. Like if you go to a restaurant, like I work in restaurants a lot, you know, you go to health department, you know, you're like, oh my God, I wish I don't only get five points, you know, and even the best restaurant, you know, in the busiest time, still going to have to have some tickets. But if it's not directly affect the health of people, if it's a sign that's not there or, you know, something like that, you know, why are the tickets too expensive? And, and also with parking, like this is, this is make the quality of life in New York is very hard. You know, why would I get um, uh, $115 uh, uh, dollar parking tickets when I would just check in a Jewish store and coming back? I just wanted to get a quick information. <laughs> yeah. It, huge problem. Yeah. And this was, this was happening before COVID hit, and it's been made worse by COVID. And what we're seeing, it's actually, I, I was talking to a small business owner in Bronx the other day. He got a ticket from one agency one week, fixed it. The next week, a different agency came back and said the way he had fixed it based on the first agency was wrong and he got another ticket, right? Oh. So what the fundamental problem is, like we think small business is the enemy, it, it seems like in New York these days, as opposed to like put together one website. Why can't you go to one website and get every approval you need instead of eight different places, right? Yeah. Just getting a sign approved now is like a huge problem for, for many And, and not businesses. to mention, if you have two health inspectors, you know, going at the same time, they're going to see things differently because there's no set of rules that everybody knows, you know? Um, all right, exactly. so we have uh, five more minutes left. So I want to get uh, one question from each of us. Uh, we'll go with Noam and then my, Noah and then Colin and then me, and then we wrap it up because we have to uh, go. Noam? Okay, so before this question, so I, I, I emailed you a link. It's, it's not the link of the article I had read, but it talks about why um, uh, certain businesses were having trouble with PPP. But much of it revolves around um, very small businesses having like ad hoc uh, bookkeeping, paying people off the books, as it were, whatever it is. But just to say that PPP was not meant to bail out business. It's called Paycheck Protection Program. It was really supposed to be a pass-through from businesses to keep people employed. The restaurant, that's why it, it, 75% of it had to go to payroll. It wasn't something that the business owner could use uh, to put in his own, to deal with his own expenses, except to some degree. But this new program is what's supposed to keep people from going bankrupt. 
And it, it is not going to prevent people from going bankrupt if people who have had little hit can, can take the money while the people who have had the hugest hits have to wait until, and by the time their number comes up, there is no money left. So I think it's, if, I, I hope you'll take another look at that. So my uh, question is, um, how are you going to ha uh, handle the violent crime spike? So the, the big issue, we got to be focused much more on guns. Guns have been a big part of it. We also need to be focused on, on mental health. We need to be making sure that the folks that are uh, committing a lot of these crimes, the slashings that we've seen on the subways, that we're getting them into, whether it's uh, the supportive housing or the other ways that we're going to keep them off the streets and help them deal with the mental health and other challenges. There's lots of success in being able to stop the flow of guns if you build the right partnerships, but it's not an either or either. You need to be having the police focus on gun crimes as well as violent crime. You need to be making sure that you're partnering with the district attorneys to prosecute gun crimes much faster. And you need to be focused on what happens when uh, violent folks are leaving prison and directing them to places where they're not going to be back out on the streets uh, creating crime again. So there's a there's a whole range of different things, but it's right. not an either or. We, we, have, have, we have two more minutes. Colin, quick, uh, do you have a thought you want to ask, John? My last thought is I feel like our whole system is built around trying to deal with, like, trying to help the gang member, when there's five other kids in that family, that if we focus on it, everybody's focused on let's make sure the gang member gets, let's make sure the troublemaker, because we're fascinated by troublemakers. Where the five kids in that family that just want to be normal, if people focus on them instead of on the kid that's in trouble, you'd have a, you change the glamorization. Like it was always like, we have to intervene with the trouble kid. It's like, no, ignore him. Help the six kids in that family that just want to go to school. Yeah. That's my final statement. Thank you. Sean, I, I'm, I'm going to end with you. You can send a message to uh, New York people about uh, final thoughts. But I want to say one more thought before I go. Uh, you know, and it's very important to me. It's actually sincere. It's not a joke this time. Uh, so, um, you know, I had a, uh, an accident. I had a heart transplant, you know. Uh, and I was in the, yeah, it was happened. I wasn't sick. It happened all of a sudden and all that. But my point is in New York City, organ donation is a big problem. Only 10% now up to 29 from eligible people are donors. You know, I waited for a long time and other people I've seen died while waiting, you know, and there's a lot of kids and all that stuff. And I really, uh, no politicians ever talk about that because it uh, doesn't get a lot of uh, votes, I guess. I don't know, but I think it would. Uh, but I really think that you should uh, search into how to become, make New York a better, a number one city of organ donation, you know? That's good. Um, because, um, you know, right now I would, if, if I went to Russia, I would have got a faster, but, you know, um, but I'm sticking with New York city. So that's. And, and Hadim, do you know, what have you seen that works? Cause the thing, the only thing I've heard about that really helps on that is if you make it, a, like, instead of having to check the box to be an organ donor, check the box so that you're not an organ donor. If the presumption is that you could be and you'd have to pass a law to do that, it could make a huge difference. And I know there's some places that have tried that. 
Um, Absolutely. That, that, that's that's one of the great things. And the other things it could be also is like, you don't have to do it only when you renew the license every seven years, you know, it has to be drives. You can go to schools. You can have other, you can have the whole system of just becoming an organ donor without having in the driver license only, you know, also education about, you can save eight lives with one person, you know, eight lives, you know, and also, um, you know, it's not against any religion, major religion, you know, there's a lot of education, a lot of stuff that could be done. Uh, to sell to, to save a lot of of people especially kids you know um so i'll give you so uh, hopefully if you are selected to be a mayor uh we'll have a show with us first and then uh take care of organ donation and your final words I'm sorry, like this this interview was amazing it was here and there but all over the place thank you for sticking with us <laughs> too easy on him hot tem believe me <laughs> but we don't realize it's my, it's my theory that 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 politicians have a big opportunity when they get tough questions. That actually, that's actually and, their chance to and, shine. Andrew Yang didn't last 10 minutes. No, but I'm serious. <laughs> I mean that very much. When I'm impressed with an interview is when I hear a, a tough question and then the politician handle it, you know, athletically. I'm like, oh, that's a guy I want to vote for. So I don't, I don't uh, think. Uh, he, he's got to go. He have another interview. Sean, uh, you want yeah. you your final thoughts? Well, no, what I would say is I've spent my life as a public servant, not as a politician. I, I, I solve problems. I don't just talk about them. So uh, I look forward to working with you when I'm uh, helping solve the problems in New York. We got a lot of them and uh, you all are part of the solution. So and we'll be happy to help by the way. We're happy to help uh, anything we can do to help the city. Amen. It's good to see you all. Thank, Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. And this was Live from America podcast. Well, we should, well, let's, let's continue with, with finish our show after they leave, no? Sure. Oh. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, uh, Thank Sean. You, Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, not going to leave me with him. He seems like a good guy, right? He's a yeah. great guy. Yeah, he's a good but guy. But I think, I, I think, yeah. I think he's the most qualified from all uh, candidates, in my opinion. I think Gnome is the most qualified. Well, I appreciate that, Colin. I, I, this is what I think about these these uh, guys running for office. They're so um, trapped in what they can't say. Every exactly. Yeah. That's and it's only gotten in the past seven eight years. It's gotten so much more. That it's a smaller smaller box. You can only say so much. Yeah. Good than I am. I didn't. I didn't even get it. All right. <laughs> All right, you guys. Get out of here. Listen. You take it easy, Colin. Bye, guys. Uh, Thank you, Colin, so much. Stop recording for a second. I want to talk to you. Okay, and that was live from America Podcast. Thank you.